The following podcast is sponsored by you. If you'd like to donate to help us continue providing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there, please use the link in the show notes for this episode. Proceeds from your donations will be used to pay for hosting fees, which are the most expensive ongoing part of providing this show. Thank you in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. In this special off-season edition, host George Templeton reviews what's been happening since the last time the Rams hit the court. And now, here's George. Orange folks, welcome back to Rams Rewind. Thank you for listening. First and foremost, if you like what you hear and you want to help us out, there is a link in the description to the PayPal that you can donate to all your podcast platforms, just like our good friends Timothy Sharp, Scott Van Ben Schoten, and Michael Byrne, uh, Michael Bem did this week. Uh, and if you donate, we will shout you out on the podcast. That's what we do here. We really appreciate the support you gave us last year and the support you're starting to give us this year. We very much appreciate it. Thank you very much as always. That we're going to take a break from our newcomer series uh, for this episode because we are going to discuss. VCU's schedule, which is now completely out, the non-conference schedule is anyway. The conference opponents is out, are out too, and that will lead that discussion for another time. But we're also going to take a look at how the A-10 is doing scheduling-wise as this conference aims to rebound from its first single bid year in almost 20 years last year. And joining us to do that is a gentleman who's been on with us before. He was on with us when we talked about Saint, the St. Mary's VCU tournament game. He does consulting for teams that are trying to schedule. He has his own site, Bracketeer.org, and he's just been such a great help uh, in getting me ready for this episode. Most of the information I found about non-conference opponents for Big Ten teams came from his website or his Twitter feed. That is Rocco Miller. You can follow him on Twitter. I believe it's at Rocco Miller 8. Rocco, thank you for joining Rams Rewind. Welcome back. Great to be back, George. Appreciate you having me, and uh, this is a fun topic. You know, fortunately, I guess for, from a selfish perspective, if I can be selfish for a second, um, with the transfer portal stretching still, you know, into May, I know that's a little bit better than the last couple summers. A lot of scheduling decisions don't get made until well into here we are in July, and and of course last month was busy. Um, I I think by the time we get through all 363 uh, Division One schools, it's going to go probably well into September like it did last year. So. Um, you know, I, I do think the majority of the teams, especially here in the Atlantic 10, um, should be wrapped up by end of August, ideally. Uh, fortunately, like you said, I get to consult with the majority of the teams in this league, and uh, that includes VCU as well. And so um, hopefully I can share some perspectives and then also talk about some of the challenges that are out there um, you know, for a league like the A-10, which basically, in some people's view, they can come in as a, as a high major. Um, just based on the fact that, you know, teams like Loyola Chicago, VCU, uh, and others have the budget to pay up to $90,000, $95,000 for a home game. Um, you know, the way scheduling works in a lot of cases is you want to match budgets or find, you know, if you're a bad team, you want to find the biggest paycheck, right? So from that, from an economical standpoint, from a financial standpoint, the A-10 is in, in pretty solid shape, um, you know, outside of the power six is kind of that next, uh, cut above, right? So, 
Uh, a lot of interesting stuff, but they also get stuck kind of in the middle sometimes too. So we'll we'll dive into some of that. Hey, well, and that leads me to my first question because of what you said about the transfer portal or how it's it's extended now, and how and how laborious that process is. If Rory died, then that's going to be a feature of one of the questions I asked about the VCU schedule when we get to it. Is this one of your busiest times of year? Or maybe maybe I should phrase it this way. One of your busiest times outside of the season that you're dealing with here because, you know, so many of these teams are still trying to find games, still trying to fill games. I only have, at least when I was doing my research, only two of the 15 teams in the A-10 have a full non-conference schedule released. Correct. Yeah, so I would say it's pretty spread out evenly for me from basically the time the Final Four ends and basketball season officially concludes with the uh, Monday Night National Championship game all the way through, um, you know, nowadays, August and into September. Uh, obviously, as we get into September, we're down to a handful of teams still looking for games. It's, there's less for me to get involved with. Um, but the nice thing, the way I've kind of positioned myself is, you know, I, I have other responsibilities in life. I have, you know, full-time work as well. So um, I can put this down and pick it back up at any time. Uh, coaches, because they recruit players at all hours of the night, um, I can call coaches at midnight. I, I have a good list of coaches that I can call any hour of the day or at least get information text-wise or help them out, which is always my goal is to provide value to the programs. Um, so the cool thing about that is if, if, if I can't afford to, you know, give it more than a couple hours in a day, there's no problem with that. I have zero expectations. However, obviously I'm passionate about it. And if I can put a full you know, six to eight hours in a day on it, I'll, I'll gladly do it. Um, cause I, I gain a lot just from getting on the phone with a lot of these different schools, whether they're very low majors, uh, power five teams, a 10 teams and everything in between. Um, because I'm constantly learning about how they are thinking about their own team and also how they're thinking about all these other potential teams they might schedule. And, um, the cool thing about that too, is <clears throat> a lot of the teams I talk to, they value my opinion as well. So, We'll take a look at the roster that we see coming back for XYZ team and say, hey, I think they're going to be pretty good or I think they're not that great. Um, and then, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all decision at that point. Some schools want to play games where they're just going to get wins, right? And I, I I think we'll get into that a little bit with VCU. Um, but then there's also other teams. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to live out by St. Mary's, the team you played in the tournament last year. And they have a very effective strategy where they actually want to play teams that are picked in the top three in their league, but they'll take, you know, they'll take teams from the A Sun and the Missouri Valley, and but they'll get them all to come out to California, pay them like 80, 90 grand, and for the most part beat everybody. And that makes their net incredible. Like last year they finished top top eight in the net. So there's a, um, a lot of different strategies. Sometimes they're looking for good teams, sometimes they're not looking for good teams. So it's uh, it's always an interesting discussion depending on which which school you're talking to. All right, my first impressions of the A10s, its overall A10, is that it was better than what I thought it was going to be. Because when I started looking and stuff, and because I hadn't seen, I had seen you know bits and pieces, tricks and brabs on your Twitter timeline and other places. I'm like, well, this could be good, but it doesn't look great. But one of the things I was happy about, most of the teams in this conference are in what they call a multi-team event, NTs for short. Uh, or what we used to call exempt tournaments, I guess they've changed the name of it. And to me, there's a lot of great opportunities in these in these multi-team events for VCU and the ESPN events, which we could talk about later. 
Dayton's in the Charleston Classic. Uh, Rhode Island's in this Hall of Fame tip-off, which has got got a you know got a couple decent teams in it. Uh, St. Bonaventure's is in the Legends Classic. I I'm very glad to see that. I think and and I think my biggest frustration is you'd like to see more of those Power Five, Power Sixteenth outside of those. But in general, I'm very happy to see so many A10 teams participating. In these, you know, weekend, these holiday tournaments or campus tournaments on campus, you know, that's that's a very big thing I think for this conference. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you know my process actually starts and stop stops right in the start of April with um, trying to figure out the entire what I call MTE puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a partner behind the scenes that helps uh, build out an entire Google document. And between the two of us, we're gathering data because. These things, uh, you know, the, the big ones are obvious, like your Myrtle Beach, your Charleston Classic, your Maui, your Battle for Atlantis. Like, we all know those. And um, some of the other good ones that have been around a long time, like the Cancun Challenge or the uh, or the Cayman Islands, you know, all that all that uh, level um, is included. But, but now, more than ever, it kind of took off last year, and this year you'll see even more, uh, the idea of doing on-campus MTEs, uh, which have just a variety of shapes and sizes. So, you know, Duquesne is going to play in Nebraska as we're – or Duquesne will play a road game at Nebraska, but it also got them two home games against Ryder and Stony Brook. It mm-hmm. all counts as their MTE. So um, some of those have lucrative financial elements to it, which um, are the reasons why you see schools like Nebraska, Illinois, Missouri, and others hosting their own. And then you also have at the lower levels, you know, schools just not finding the types of games they want because a lot of them just want to win games. And they'll look at the teams that are in there and it's just it just creates this huge like poker game that goes on and on and on and it's it's actually finally just getting resolved now where we still have you know there's two events right now that's still looking for a team if you can believe that um and and a bunch last week just got resolved um we think but you never know when a team's going to pull out or uh <laughs> or or tell a team they're in but not sign the contract so uh what i've found in scheduling over the years is that you never really know for sure until the contract sign and um, so, yeah, but I think in general, I like what the A-10 has done as well. You've listed a lot of good ones. I'll also mention St. Louis is going to Myrtle Beach with um, some of the best mid-majors in the sport. College of Charleston will be there, Furman, Wichita State, et cetera. And then you also have um, what Richmond was able to do getting in the Sunshine Slam. I think with Colorado and Florida State there, that's a great brand of that. I think Colorado's top 25 good. So for Richmond's sake, uh, hopefully they at least get a crack at them. It'll help their strength of schedule, even if they – get beat uh and UNLV's there who's a who's a respectable team as well so um yeah so I think it starts and stops with that and then that you know I would just say just as a whole you know Duquesne's the team I've been the most impressed with just in terms of uh how aggressive they've gotten they're, they're going out to Las Vegas right before Christmas they're trying to play two games so far they're playing Santa Clara the the 23rd right before Christmas Eve there they also um they've got a couple series that are competitive they have to play on the road at Marshall of course, they're going to play at Nebraska as part of the event. They also uh, got themselves into the Veterans Classic that you guys know very well out there. And they'll play College of Charleston there. Um, and I think Duquesne's got a couple other things in the works. They, they think they're very much in the mix for an at-large. And whether they're right or wrong, I just love that mentality. I wish more teams had it. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so that's the team that kind of has stood out to me as, as aggressive. You know, Fordham's done a couple nice things. They got the St. John's game lined up. Uh, obviously, that'll be a very good game. They'll play North Texas in Brooklyn. That's an exciting, very competitive game. They got Tulane coming to 
the Bronx, which is also great. And I think they'll get a couple decent games down in the uh, Virgin Islands as well. So, um, yeah, so Fordham, you know, we'll see if they can build on what they did last year. Obviously, Dayton going to the Charleston Classic. They'll get good games. Um, and they have the Cincinnati neutral game. But, but yeah, we can go into any other specifics. But I, but I think in general, the league is, uh, you know, the average team's getting about five to six really good, competitive, tough games. And then depending on their budget, you know, if you have a Dayton-level budget, you can buy a bunch of teams that you're probably going to beat. Um, but if you don't, then you've got to do a little bit more finagling, like maybe like a Fordham or, or a George Washington type of program. You, you, uh, you said a lot there that I want to come back on. One of those about teams that didn't fill their, fill their fields for their tournaments, one of them, George Mason's in the Jacksonville Classic. Classic. I had it for, I have George Mason in with a, with a TBA on that with Charlotte yeah, UPF. Right. And I think the other one might be George Washington in the Nassau Division of the Bahamas Tournament. They, I think they had a TBA when I looked last on them. Yeah, I got updates for you on those. So George Mason's Jacksonville Classic is is now finalized. It's uh, I don't even know if I put it out there fully, but in the in in their division, they'll have UCF and Charlotte, like you said. They also will have South Dakota State. Okay, uh, it's a it's an interesting um, thing that came together. They they built a, a second bracket, and so George Mason will host Cornell on campus. Cornell will go into the second bracket, and they'll be with Southern Mississippi, Utah Valley, and um, there's a fourth team in there slipping my mind right now. But um, the the idea there is, um, you know, Southern Miss is actually the, a, a strong team that finished top 60 last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they worked out a deal with South Dakota State where they're actually going to do a home game, but then they'll go into the bottom bracket, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but nevertheless, South Dakota State's good enough, and they'll they'll put up a fight. Zeke Mayo's back. He's probably the player of the year in their, their conference. And, and so no matter who George Mason gets in that top division – um, they'll, they'll have tough competitive games. UCF, obviously, probably bottom of Big 12, but probably still a top 100 team. And then um, Charlotte, you know, they have an interim coach. So George Mason's got a shot to win that thing, in my opinion. And then, and then the other I want to spin back on. Yep. Duquesne and Fordham played two of the weakest non-conference schedules last year. I, I had no criticism of it because of what they went through. Fordham, you know, with a new coach, having lost their coach unexpectedly. Duquesne having gone through one of the worst years you could go through without a scandal of death or a coach being fired in the middle of it. So it was understandable what they did. I am right. very heartened to hear that both of them are up or looking at serious upgrades to their schedule because that's absolutely necessary. Yes. This, this conference, we can't have two years of a row of this conference being a single bid conference because if we do, people might be starting to look for the exit door. And we know there are yeah. things in the works that. That could that could collaterally hit the A ten in terms of teams leaving, and you know unless we're the team that's leaving, I'm not sure that's something I, I would want to see happen. So, I agree with that. Yeah, I think the A ten is uh, a special league. Obviously, like the, I think the fans, at least on Twitter, are, are probably my out of any league my favorite. I mean, everybody goes hard. Like we've got we've got the UMass guys; they're always fired up. The St. Louis guys are always fired up. VCU speaks for themselves. I mean. It, the list goes on and on. We have the the funny guy from LaSalle, the only fans guy. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I love I love the A10 Twitter, and it's so much more fun when we're talking about anywhere between three to five teams being in the mix, or or hopefully more. Um, and I don't know if it's going to happen this year. To be honest with you, like if you look at the projections, 
um, which is just a rough estimate at this stage. Really, we don't know a lot except for who's got the experience and 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 whatnot. And I, you know, Duquesne actually comes in as the highest ranked team right now according to Torvik. So that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that same ballpark, he's got Loyola Chicago, Dayton VCU, and the Bonnies um, all in the top eighty-five. So you would think on paper those five have a shot, but after after what we saw from Loyola Chicago last year, for me personally. I'm not going to put them uh, anywhere near that level of expectations. It, they'll have to prove it back to me just because I, mean, I think they just have a lot to fix. And I don't know there's enough that was addressed on the roster to to put them, in, even in the top 100, in my opinion. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. I'd love to be wrong about that. I, lo- I love the Rambler program. Uh, but I do think those other four, v- VCU, Dayton, Bonaventure, Duquesne, I, I can definitely buy into. You'd also like to think Fordham, St. Louis, uh, maybe even St. Joe's, like they have a lot of upside at St. Joe's this year, um, can play their way up a, a level higher and, and and hopefully a bounce back year from Davidson, who just has such a proud program. Um, and, and there's obviously, you know, your rival out there, George Mason, they've got uh, a lot of uh, momentum with the, the hire of Tony Skin. You know, I don't think they're at large good, but I think they'll be really competitive. Well, I'm very bullish on St. Joe's. That's been a subject of a lot of debate in our group and will probably be a subject of a lot of debate in our group because I've had some pushback on that. I'm very bullish on St. Joe's this year. So I'm hoping, because it was funny, last year, at least according to Ken Palm's metrics, they had had one of the best non-conference schedules, strength of schedules in the A-10. So I'm hoping that if I'm right and they are really good, they're playing that level of schedule so that they can have a chance. They were able to get into Kentucky's MTE, so they will get a chance to play at Rupp. Now, obviously, probably not going to win that game, but if they can go and just play close, that helps everybody's numbers. You know, just lose by single digits, I would say. And then the Big Five um, has always helped St. Joseph's strength of schedule, as LaSalle as well. Um, now, instead of getting four Big Five games, you're only going to get three. I think that hurts a little bit, but luckily for St. Joe's, at least for this season, they do have Bellanova already on the schedule guaranteed. They'll play them at home. And if they win the division, if they win the division, they get in the final and get a fourth game, and that could end up being really good. Well, the, no, that, that would just be the third game, and that, they they pl- uh, oh, on the final day, right. everybody everybody plays regardless. So that's right, that's right, that's right. If if they can knock off Villanova, they'll win that group. But then on the other side, they would either get Temple or Drexel, most likely. I'm I'm assuming LaSalle um, is a little bit weaker than those two. Drexel's actually got a very good team coming back. Um, and they like their chances of getting to the championship game. Um, and they're, they're actually hoping to play Villanova, of course. But um, if St. Joe's is really that good, hey, that's not a bad game either if it ends up being St. Joe's and Drexel. Um, so they've got that built in. They, they went out of their way and they're playing Iona. That's a nice game for St. Joe's. They'll play that at UBS Arena. Um, so there's an announcement coming out for that. But I, I can definitely confirm it's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, they'll they'll also play Pennsylvania as part of the um, the Philadelphia situation. So we'll see what they do with these last. They, they've got in my for what I have down, they still got about four or five spots to fill. I'd love to see them get a couple more good ones. All right, that brings us to VCU, which is the main thing we want to discuss here. And when this schedule came out, I will lie, I was less than thrilled with a few things. One of the things I think is good is that. Our, our condition has been to find teams that may be kind of under the radar, that may turn out to be really good, especially early in the season. Famously, VCU has played plenty of the opener teams that were 15 seeds that made the second weekend. When Florida Gulf Coast did it, VCU played them the opening night. St. Peter's made the final eight. VCU played them the opening night. 
They've got a knack for that, and it looks like they've done a good job on that score. Just about everybody they're playing has either recently been in the top two or three of their conference or has recently won their conference regular season championship. So on that score, I was happy. What I was not happy about and what a lot of people were not happy about is no true road games, which is which is a first for a long time. No Power 5 or Power 16 outside of a multi-team event, which that's a first for a long time. Now, uh, this is this is the first question I really wanted to ask you. Apparently on the on his radio show, Coach Odom said that because the first priority was getting the roster together because of the transfer portal, that in terms of getting those kinds of games, VCU was late entering the discussion. They tried with a lot of different programs. I think he said 20. They couldn't get anywhere. Is that your experience that that's happened to other teams? And just what are your what are your thoughts on a schedule that doesn't have a true road game in it or doesn't have a power five, power sixteen outside of the tournament in it? Yeah, I mean my my opinion is, you know, similar to yours. I, I, I think they would have been better off at least playing one true road game, but um at BCU specifically, I know there is some pressure from uh the upper you know, whether it's the AD or even higher up on the on the food chain there to play at least nine home games in non-conference. And um, so that's a that's a, that's a thing. And, and I know from their perspective, again, I'll, you know, I'm playing translator here. Um, they felt really good about having both Memphis and Temple at home. We, we knew that coming into most of the scheduling efforts. And, and of course, they felt really good about being in the ESPN events tournament. Uh, which has a very good field, and I love that Florida Atlantic got in that. I think that only beefs it up more. Um, but you know, outside of that outline, I expected um, to at least get help them get one more strategic game, uh, whether that was at a neutral court event. Uh, there were there were several opportunities to do so, either like the first week of the season or on um, some different dates in December, uh, without getting too specific. <laughs> and you know. There was a short list of teams I think VCU wanted to play, um, and most of that most of that list was Power Five level teams, and that's just a challenging thing that kind of everybody goes through, especially in the first couple months of scheduling, with April through through May or into June. Is you know teams like VCU want to play a Power Five team, but po- most Power Five teams are going to say no. Um, there's a few exceptions, like I've had I've had a lot of success getting teams like Mississippi State, and. You know, there's a handful of others, Vanderbilt sometimes actually, um, play teams like BCU, but for the most part, and I, I disagree with it, but most Power Fives want to go, if they're going to play a neutral court game or do a series, they're going to do it with uh, another Power Five. So that's a that's a massive challenge for VCU uh, and, and anybody in the A-10 for that matter. Um, but at the same time, like we all know that going in. And then there were some teams basically, I would say either at BCU's level, whether, you know, some Mountain West teams for sure. Uh, I think some WCC teams, and I would consider them pretty equal level, uh, definitely equal budgets, uh, where we could have put them together, whether it be a series or, uh, you know, a one-off neutral game somewhere uh, in the middle of the country or even down closer to VCU. And um, for whatever reason, it didn't fit the formula. And uh, that last spot or two just ended up being, you know, a couple more, uh, what we would call quad four home games <laughs> to be polite. So, so yeah, in general, like my heart of hearts, and especially as a bracketologist and a, and a forecaster, uh, I'd love to see more data. Um, I think this schedule puts a ton of pressure on them to perform well in the ESPN events uh, situation and also take care of business against Memphis. 
who has a top 30 roster. Ideally, uh, you somehow find a way to beat Memphis and then be the biggest Memphis fan the rest of the season. We've all been through that before. Um, so that will be the case here. Uh, but besides like those four, like I don't, Temple's got a new coach. They might not even be a quad three game if it, if it, if it's a, if it's a rebuild year for Temple, which it very well could be. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think a little too much weight was put on the Temple game just because of their brand name and it will be a well attended sold out game, I'm sure. But I don't know if it's doing a lot for the resume. Um, they would have, you know, they played at Temple last year, so I, I know they couldn't go there again. Um, but with that being said, it's um, Odom's first year. I got to work with Odom at Utah State. I love him. Who doesn't? I mean, he's had a great uh, track record as a coach. He set up very well to win well over 20 games in his first year. Um, some of it thanks to the schedule, but also just, you know, he's that good of a coach anyway. And, um, you know, uh, he's basically just, this is his angle right now is to to get in the door, get get the uh, the confidence of the fans, get some excitement going. Ideally, start 4-0 with those first four home games. Um, McNeese is very talented. They won't have their coach, Will Wade, unfortunately, for VCU fans. But uh, they're starting five, man. McNeese is starting five. is a power five starting five. I'm just not sure how good their bench is. But these five guys might play close to 40 minutes each. And, I mean, they're good enough to knock off a lot of teams, including VCU. That's a pretty dangerous opener. Well, it'll be it'll be a... It'll be an interesting atmosphere. It was pretty. They were pretty rough on Will Wade when he came back with LSU. I don't know if if the years have softened anybody, but of course, that's fine. I, I hope they're really good. I know that I, I I've heard a lot of people say that they believe they'll be the preseason pick to win the Southland. I think they're still in the Southland. Yes, I mean they should beat. In my opinion, they should beat everybody in that league by by double digits every time out. But you know, it's it's basketball, right? Like that's probably. They're going to have some close calls somewhere, but their talent level is a whole tier above anybody else in their league. Um, so that's a good team to have on your schedule because in a lot of the metrics, if you if McNeese wins 25-plus games, that's going to help all your other numbers incrementally. Before you continue, I just have to have the little complain, rhyme, rant, whatever about what you said about these five, five teams and if they're going to do series, they're only going to play them and they're not being as amenable to like neutral court games maybe as they used to be something's got to be done about this because first and foremost no no conference should play 20 conference games that's number one that's got to be put a stop to the ncaa's got to do something about this it is becoming more and more of a closed shop and i've already seen it on social media all the answers to expand the tournament no it's not the answer is for the committee to say all you're doing is, is, is playing your own conference and then doing not much in non-conference play and we're not going to reward it. We're not going to pick you. If you finish five or lower in your conference and you haven't played anybody in non-conference schedule and you've only played a couple other proud five teams because you can and the rest of the time you're playing, you know, team, you're playing quad four games, don't put those damn teams in the tournament. Put the put the A-10 teams in. Put the other mid-majors in that are actually trying to schedule better games, and then maybe just maybe they'll start playing them again. Right now, there is not much incentive, especially with the way this net is. And again, the lack of transparency, biggest problem with that. There's very little incentive for these guys to play true road games, which used to matter, and to play to really good mid-major teams that could turn out to be really good because they're saying, oh no, if we lose to them, it's a disaster. And it's that is my biggest frustration. I don't love... 
appreciated with their schedule, but I can understand why it's happened. But part of it is, is that it's becoming more and more of a kind of a rigged game if you're not in the power six. And it frustrates me to no end. And the NCAA has got to step in and do something about it, or it's only going to get worse and worse. And no, going to 96-16 is not the answer. Right. Yeah, I definitely couldn't agree with you more once again on that. I, I think it's frustrating for me as well because, you know, when we had the RPI and the um, equation that went into sorting your results by the RPI data, um, a lot there was a heavier emphasis on your strength of schedule. There was also a lot of de facto uh, disqualifiers that the committee um, uh, more regularly, you know, employed into their conversations about um, how strong your schedule was, who did you play, how did you do, uh, you know, where did you play, who did you play, and how did you do is always like the thing the chairman will say every year. They still say it now. Um, so, so of course, it always matters. But it ma- I thought it mattered more then because, you know, back back in you know in the early two thousands, we were getting like five Missouri Valley teams in um, in some years, and and three and four five Missouri Valley, a ten same thing. Like that's good for the game. I mean, it's really really good for the game. I think. The hard part with the current system is, uh, again, it's less about your own net, but it, the net matters because that's how you sort your opponents. And if you're in the 20 league schedule, uh, league game schedule, and you're in the, you know, whatever it is, the Big Ten, that's the most famous example. Um, you go 10 and 10 in those games, you're like, hey, we won six or seven quad one games. It's like, well, you have like 20 at bats. Like, what are we talking about? What are we talking about here? We're, we're comparing that to a team like Drake. We had like two at bats and went one and one. How do we know who's better? It's it's silly. Um, so you know, I, I unfortunately do think at some point, I you know, maybe for a few years here, we'll be able to hold off the NCAA from expanding. But I think at some point it does happen, just because you can just felt feel the tidal wave coming on that front. Um, but I do think if you're going to expand, they should expand more of the criteria back to uh, making the schedule important, uh, incentivizing teams to schedule hard. Um, you know, unfortunately there is a, a governance on scheduling and that puts a lot of the responsibilities and, uh, decision-making into the hands of the coaches themselves. And there is, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a world for the last three or four cycles of, of coaching carousel about one in every six coach is gone. So if there's 360 teams, I mean, we're right around 60 jobs turned over each year. And from a human element standpoint, from a, you know, I have a lot of friends that are coaches I really can't blame them if they're just trying to make sure they get wins. The AD and the people that make the decision if they're going to keep their job or not are looking at different things than guys like you and I. And if they're just able to kind of game that to get a three or four year extension, who am I to tell them not, that's not the right thing to do? But if we did have a scheduling governance model or some level of commissioner that could at least do some mandating and allow a little bit of flexibility as well, I think that's probably the secret sauce and the right mix. I just don't see anybody stepping up to do that. Like we could use like a Dan Gavitt or somebody like that to at least have a, a voice. But um, man, as soon as the NCAA tried to have that or anybody in college basketball tried to put that together, I, I guarantee you well over 50% of the coaching commu- uh, community would fight back because they all, they all have each other's back. It's a very tight world uh, in coaching. Everybody knows everybody. And uh, they know that's kind of uh, going to be tougher for their job security. So it's a, it's a really it, it's a really tough subject because of that. And that's fine. Charlie Baker's got to look out because that that tournament's the Golden Goose. 
And if it becomes just all power five teams and whatever teams can win their conference tournaments from the lower things, they're going to kill that goose. And, that, and that's that's my life's world, man. I want to get back to this schedule. So we, you talked about extensively about Mid-East State. Sanford was a co-champion of their conference. Radford, you know, I think they were third in the Big South last year. Seattle is interesting because they were, I think, fourth or fifth last year. But two years ago, they were the co-champ of the WAC. I do see potential for some really good wins out of this, even if they're not good wins in terms of they're not going to be quad twos or quad ones. But we could be looking at, you know, three teams that can qualify for postseason play. I mean, legitimate postseason play out of those first four games. Yeah, I mean, they're very solid teams to play. Samford as well. I mean, I think all four of them are, uh, you know, you're not able to show up and beat them. You're going to have to play a pretty good game. And I think it's four games where Odom will learn a lot about what he's got to work with heading into, uh, you know, the Disney World event. And so, um, yeah, Seattle's got Cam Tyson back. I'm from Seattle originally, and Cam Tyson's a local kid. I think he shot 40% from three last year. He's just a deadly, deadly shooter. And, um, you know, I know they got to fill, fill some other starting lineup guys, uh, but it's a really good program. I mean, they've been winning 20 plus games there. They've been competing in the WAC. The WAC is, you know, I don't have to tell A10 fans, they actually finished higher than the A10 and Ken Palm last year as a, a weighted conference because really the thing about that is there's really no bad teams in the WAC. I mean, there, there's just a bunch of teams right around the 150 area, but they're all tough as nails. And that's a good team to get tested with. Odom's pretty familiar. He he was coming from Utah State, where there are three or three WAC schools in that state, so he knows what he's signing up for here. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, Samford always talented. Bucky's a good coach. McNeese is going to be the most talented of those four, and uh, Radford can uh, compete for the Big South this year. I think that out of the four, in my opinion, that's going to be the one where VCO VCU probably wants to get a runaway victory. Um, but yeah, so those first seven games are all pretty interesting, and I think I think when you get into like the Norfolk, the Alcorn, the Maryland Eastern Shore, that's where it starts to get a little dull. Um, and hopefully, it is dull. You don't want those games to be close, and and I would say watch out for Gardner Webb because um, you know that will be the last game before the A10 starts. Gardner Webb's got a really good coach in Tim Craft. Uh, the, they, they've finished over 500 every single year he's been the head coach nine years. Uh, only only one other team in the Big South can say that in the last nine years. That's Winthrop. Uh, and so it's just a really, really solid, you know, you guys are probably very familiar with being pretty close to Virginia, but um, I, I would just watch out for them. They're, they're going to be sneaky tough, and they're, they're playing a lot of hard games themselves, so I think they're going to get better by the time December 30th rolls around. It's a good thing about Norfolk and Alcorn State. Norfolk has been dominant in the MEAC the last few years. They didn't win it. They actually didn't win MEAC last year. Previous two years, they won the regular season and the tournament, and they went in and won the NCAA tournament game a couple of years ago. Alcorn was co-champ in the in the SWAC and got upset by Texas Southern in the cores, uh, or they might have been in the tournament last year. So, again, yes, they're HBCUs. They're going to be quad four games, but both of those could be in the postseason. And then you throw Memphis in there. That, to me, could be a very productive three-game set. So let's – Let's get to Orlando because, as you rightly say, as many others have said, Orlando's going to have to do the heavy lifting. We obviously don't know what the pairings are. We also know that in any of these situations, you want, you absolutely have to win that first game and get into the winner's bracket because oftentimes that's going to do wonders for your schedule. They did for VCU when they did that at the Battle for Atlantis. 
I'm looking at this. I don't see anybody as good as Kansas like a couple of years ago where they beat them in that tournament and turn their season around. But I see a lot of teams that could be in that large, large pool and frankly could be on that bubble with VCU if that's the way things shake out come the end of March. Uh, what do you think? What do you think of that field? Yeah, I think, oh, well, I think it's a good, really good field. Um, you start, you know, you can start with Texas A&M. They bring back a lot of players from a very, very good team. Um, Texas A&M, a lot of people forget last year, they were tied for first place in the SEC with like a week to go. They went on a they went on a crazy hot streak where they won like 13 out of 14 in, uh, in a really tough stretch. There are no uh, stretches in the SEC where you <laughs> where you can really get a break. So uh, he, Buzz had that team completely turned around starting in December. They took some really ugly losses in November, uh, but it made them tougher and better. And now that core's back. Um, I think on paper they're they're anywhere from 15 to 20 in a lot of polls or even in these uh, advanced metric systems. Um, you know, you'll, 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 you won't find anybody higher on Florida Atlantic than me. Uh, so, uh, the, the addition of the owls is, um, you know, they, they could be anywhere. A lot of people have them in the top 10, whatever it may be. I think, I think we can all agree. They're a tournament team on paper. They have every single player back except for Michael Forrest, who was like the third guy off the bench at the end of last year. So they are going to be, uh, not only in this tournament, but expecting to win it. Uh, and also close to home. Uh, they'll have a lot of fans there. Uh, and so you got them, and then you've got yeah, you know Boise State's under the radar, and sometimes they don't play well in November. So VC plays them. Hopefully that trend continues. Uh, but they're a good team to play uh, in general because they've got, uh, Coach Rice has taken them to what five out of the last six tournaments. Um, they're 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 always hovering around twenty five to forty in the net. So they'll good chance they land in quad one if you play them. And uh, in the Mountain West, they're probably second or third best team on paper once again. Uh, DeGen Hart's back. A good, a good nucleus is back for the Broncos. Um, and then, you know, Iowa State uh, on paper, probably a tournament team as well. I like that roster quite a bit. So so right off the bat there, I've given you four that I think will probably be tournament teams. Virginia Tech smells like a bubble team to me. Kind of jury's out. That'll be a really important tournament for them. And if they play VCU, how cool is that for the state of Virginia to see that matchup? Um, so we'll, we'll see if that happens. And then I would say the the two I'm lowest on are Butler and Penn State. I just don't I don't think Butler's got a very strong roster. Obviously, Thad Mod is a, a legend. Um, I just don't think he's got the roster to compete in the Big East. Um, but who knows? They might still be like top seventy five good, top eighty five good. We'll see where the Bulldogs land. But right now, I don't think they're a tournament team. And with Penn State, uh, Coach Rhodes, obviously, if VCU plays them, that's going to be an incredible uh, experience for for your fans. But um, I, I do think they're bottom four or five and it just with all the rebuilding they have to do you know coach shrewsbury took all the the best assets with him to notre dame um and penn state just it's going to take him a little bit to get it going there so i do think penn state and butler is actually probably my bottom two maybe maybe vcu a hair above both of those um in in maybe the sixth strongest spot and that's that's kind of how i see it it's it's funny you said about penn state because when vcu played them up there a few years ago they were bottom four, I think, of that conference that year, but it was still a quad one game because the Big Ten had an insane year in the net. And then it had like 13 exactly. or 14 teams that were top 75, and Penn State was one of them. So even though she lost to like a 13th place team in the Big Ten, granted it was all a buzzer beater, they were still a quad one game. So that's it's we just have to get these games of the power conferences against these power six somehow, some way. 
hopefully it's a one year blip that we did that that's that the situation we have this year is what we had. I will say this. No, no question. I will say this. I feel like if they don't come out of that offensive invitational two and one or three though, they can recover, especially if they can beat Memphis and they can and they can work whatever kinks they may still have to work out with those last four games before they get into conference play. So just final thoughts on this schedule in general, on the job that Coach Odin did, given the situation, you know, that he was facing with, you know, all the trades for Forest stuff and everything and being a new coach. Yeah, so yeah, I'll, I'll start it with just a final thought on on the tournament in in Orlando. Um, is you know, I, based on the fact that they really only have Memphis on their home schedule, that will be a guaranteed, you know, quad one, quad two game. A lot of those other ones could be quad three, could, could be upwards quad two if they're lucky. Um, I think the pressure's on to win their opener, and I, I you, you know, I say this a lot about bracketed events with eight teams. Um, in most cases, every once in a while, things get crazy and we have a lot of upsets so it doesn't always shake out this way but in most cases if you win that first game your strength the schedule is going to be so much stronger by getting into the semifinals and even if you land in the third place game then if you lose and you go the other direction and now you're playing losers bracket teams um i think in this field specifically just the way i broke it down earlier i could definitely see that being a key uh and bcu you know typically they, they will seed these teams one through eight and then match them up so if BCU can get the sixth spot, that would be ideal because I think they would avoid uh, Ford Atlantic and Texas A&M, who I expect to be the top two teams. Uh, but maybe maybe just because Ford Atlantic's not a uh, a Power Five team, they might give Iowa State that spot. Um, but I would ex- I would expect just based on the way ESPN's done this over the years that BCU would open with one of those three teams. Um, so we'll see if I'm right. It could be Virginia Tech. Who knows? Um, but the key is, and my point is win that first one and you're gonna even if you lose the next two you're gonna lose to two probably really good teams most likely and that's gonna help you more than going to the losers bracket and winning two um interestingly enough we have a lot of data to back that up so uh that that's my last thought on the tournament i think overall ryan odom um you know deserves this opportunity i know the area means a lot to him i think over time he's gonna bring in great talent and keep the program exactly at the level it's been, if not, hopefully grow it a little bit, uh, take it to the next level. And uh, I was super impressed with what he was able to do in a short amount of time at Utah State. Utah State, I think, is a very good job. They, they packed the arena, a, a crazy home arena that Utah State has. They rarely lose there. So he took advantage of that, but he had good enough teams and a great system to effectively make three-pointers um, and beat teams on the margins. In the Mountain West Conference, you have to win games on the margins, much like the Atlantic 10. And I think that gives them a lot of upside to take a couple of these guys with them from Logan, added some nice pieces, as we know. Um, and nobody in the A-10, like we talked about at the beginning, is dominant. So the upside for a team like VCU is uh, is the ceiling of, of first place again. Um, there's nobody, there's no arguing against that. I think first place is up for grabs between upwards of eight to ten teams, actually. So, um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I'm happy for him. He's a great person. Um, a lot of people he brought on that staff I've been able to meet over the years as well. So uh, excited for them. To, I, I know a lot of them are from the East Coast originally and very happy to be back. And uh, I, I guess that's pretty much all I got. All right. Rocco, this has been fantastic. Uh, I knew it would be good. I was looking forward to this. 
Uh, thanks for all the great information and for adding to some, some of the information that I had and added to it on this show and, and, and letting us know, letting our fans know about that. So as you know, Rams Rewind, you believe in shameless self-promotion. So anything that you want to promote, social media, your website, anything else, let it, let's have it. Yeah, I appreciate that. So uh, on Twitter is the easiest way to keep up. Hopefully nothing blows up with Twitter. It's been an interesting time lately, but uh, as, as long as it's all status quo, at Rocco Miller 8, and then if anything changes with Twitter, obviously I'll put something up and we'll figure out another way to keep the information flowing. Uh, my website is bracketsheer.org, uh, so I'm slowly rolling out schedule pages. Eventually we'll make it to the Atlantic 10, hopefully by uh, the end of next month. Uh, and really, it's just a clean place for you to go and see everybody's non-conference schedule on one page. So far on the website, we have the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Big East pages are up there. So you can get a little taste of uh, what those conferences have lined up. And that is updated regularly. Um, so the other conferences are, uh, I, I'm all also updating, but they're just not live on the website for the public to see. Uh, but once they become public, I will announce those on Twitter. And then uh, as we get closer to the season, I'll be starting a, a deep dive of analyzing all 32 leagues and starting to do some preseason projections. And uh, that's that's a lot of fun for me because it's really the only time the entire calendar year where it's my opinion and really my only, <laughs> my only time to have an opinion. Because once we start getting actual data after November 6th, opening night, um, I slowly, slowly only lean on data and I take my opinion out of it. And I'm really just trying to be a psychologist on what the committee is going to decide. So um, it's a lot of fun. Hang out uh, along the way. And uh, it's a beautiful sport. Uh, November 6th, folks, it's only three and a half months away. It's going to be here before you know it. I promise you that. Thank you so much, Rocco. Thank you all out there for listening. And remember, Pod B, Apple Podcasts, all your podcast platforms. We will be back again with another non-newcomers episode coming up with another return guest to talk about some very interesting happenings that are happening at DCU. Thank you all for listening. Have a good night, everybody. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.